Um, we're carrying on our series on John. Um, we are still in the first chapter um, of John. And even though it feels like the first chapter is taking a long time, I was reflecting this week, I was like, man, there's so much in this chapter that we, I would love for us to talk about and we just don't have time to talk about. It is, it is a very rich text with so much um, in it. But today, I want to look at the question, who is Jesus? And how is this portrayed um, in the text? Um, because there's a lot. There are a lot of names given to Jesus, just even in this first chapter. And the question of who is Jesus is a real theme that goes through the whole book of John. But I want to start by telling you a story. Um, a lot of years ago, I used to work in um, I used to work in restaurants, I used to work in bars, and I and I got headhunted this one time to go and work in this hotel, big hotel in Manchester, um, as the restaurant manager for this hotel because they wanted it to go a particular style, which was kind of the style I was experienced in. They wanted me to come in and kind of lead this kind of very more relaxed style restaurant um, in this hotel, and I. You know, they offered me a nice salary and they offered me incentives and all that sort of stuff. I was like, great, I can go do that. Great. Never worked in a hotel before, but how different could it be? So um, I went off on my first day and I, and I got there on my first day. And the guy who had headhunted me, um, I was informed, wasn't actually there anymore. Uh, but that was all right. And they might want to go a slightly different direction, but that was all right. No, no massive alarm bells ringing at this point. Anyway, so I, I set off and I was, you know, I'll... I, trying to find my feet and they were giving me this induction they were walking me around and then they introduced me to this guy um called mr orm and he was like he was fine i was going yeah i'd love to meet you just you know i thought it's one of the guests turns out he was the hotel manager and um i just thought he was one of the guests so every time i saw him for the next few days i was like oh still here Enjoying your stay? Back again? Good to see you. you go, I wonder if we could sit down and have a chat sometime. Yeah, I'm a bit busy right now. I've uh, just got a few things to sort. But maybe if you're around tomorrow, I could, I could we sit down and have a coffee. Sometimes he asked me to get me a drink. If I could get him a drink or whatever, and I'd get one of my staff to get him a drink and take it to him. And this guy was just around the hotel quite a lot for a guest. Like I wondered what he was doing. And, and then one time he was going, so how are you, how are you finding it here? Like, you, are you enjoying it? I was going, well, you know, actually, I don't know. Like, you know, I thought it was one thing, but now it's another thing. And I don't, and I was probably maybe a little bit indiscreet in some of my comments. And then, anyway, I'd been there for like three, three weeks or something. And I got invited, I got I had this thing in my diary. It was like the top team meeting. And I walked in. And there was Mr. Orm sat at the head chair in the meeting. And I was going, oh. <laughs> Oh, and you mind kind of starts tracking back to the various conversations you've had, the very times you've kind of not given the attention maybe they would deserve or not had the conversations through, or maybe said things you probably wouldn't have said to your boss's boss, or those sorts of things. And I was like, I probably really should have figured out who Mr. Orm was right at the beginning. I missed that. And in the same way, it's important we figure out who Jesus is. John goes to real lengths to, to give us all the clues um, that we could hope for. But he's saying some quite dramatic things. As I say, it's a theme that goes through the whole book of John. There are famously seven 
I am sayings of Jesus. Seven times Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life in chapter 6. I am the light of the world in chapter 8. I am the door in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd also in chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life in chapter 11. I am the way, the truth and the life in chapter 14. I am the vine in chapter 15. These claims that Jesus makes about who he is. He's using this phrase, I am, which has real significance in the Jewish faith. Because when God was asked by Moses, who shall I send me? Say, send me. He says, say, I am who I am sent you. So it's not insignificant that Jesus is using I am to introduce himself on seven occasions. It's not insignificant. There are seven of these in the book of John. There are seven um, signs or miracles or wonders in the book of John before his resurrection. There are um, seven I am sayings. The number seven in itself is symbolic of God. It is the perfect number that represents God. These things are all significant. What John is doing in the whole book He's trying to introduce us to this idea of who Jesus is. He's trying to introduce us in all sorts of ways. So um, just a little bit of a recap, a little bit of, because I know we've been in the chapter for a little while, but um, right at the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We are introduced to the idea that Jesus is the Word of God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If Jesus is the word of God, then the Bible is the little w word of God that reveals the big w word of God. The Bible scripture shows us who Jesus is. God, Jesus shows us what God is like. He is the light, chapter 5, 7, 8, 9. We are he, the light and the darkness has not overcome it. He is life and the creator of all things. We see in a couple of verses, he is the son of God. We see that in 14, 18. 49 is in relationship with the Father. He is God. He is full of grace and truth. He is abiding with the Spirit. And the Spirit is abiding with Him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Messiah. He is God's chosen one. He is a rabbi. He's called Rabbi on a couple of occasions, King of Israel as well. And then the one identification that Jesus gives himself is Son of Man. The very last words of the first chapter of this whole introduction. I think the writer wants us to have an idea about who Jesus is. He's throwing all these different names and ideas and suggestions of who Jesus is at us. And there are all these different imageries that we're supposed to pull. We've already talked before about how in the beginning was the word. that draws us back to Genesis and draws us um, and the creation of all things and Jesus is there as creation is spoken into existence. It takes us back to the law and the word of the Lord. And the, the law that isn't just some rules now, but it has a, is, is a person who wants to be known, who reveals what God is like. We, we see all the way through this chapter these ideas of what God is like, these challenging 
somewhat radical ideas. The author, John, does not want us to be in any failure of understanding of who we are talking about here. We are not just talking about a prophet. We are not just talking about some other biblical figure. We are talking about God incarnate. It is made really clear to us. He references just a few things in this section that I want to pull out. He references the baptism. It's interesting. He doesn't tell us the story of Jesus being baptized, but he references it. He assumes our knowledge of it because the other Gospels are written, which do tell us about it. It's probably a very famous story that as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and when he arises out of the water, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And this voice comes from heaven and says, This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Or, I am delighted in him. This is the Son of God. God himself explains who Jesus is in that story. And, and John references that story. The one whom the Spirit descended upon, abided with. We see the Trinity in operation. Jesus is revealing the Father he is abiding with the Father. The actual Greek here is in the bosom of the Father, which is really significant because at the end of the Gospel, we see John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, resting his head in the bosom of Jesus. Of, of Jesus. So there is this connection. That the relationship that Jesus has with the Father is a relationship that we are invited to have with Jesus. There is this connection that goes through the scriptures. We see the Trinity in operation, the Spirit descending on, abiding, resting, dwelling with Jesus is introduced in this first chapter. We see Father, Son and Spirit all interacting, abiding with each other. It is all presented, Jesus is, represent, is presented to us as someone who is in the Godhead. It's very difficult for us to make a mistake. Even in the testimony that we are given of John the Baptist, John, John's testimony is who John is not. This question, these, these religious leaders come, the Pharisees and the leaders from the, from the temple come to find out what he's doing because there's this guy out in the wilderness baptizing anybody and everybody and they want to know what's going on. It's causing quite a commotion and they're quite worried about it. And they go out to him and they ask him, who are you? This question goes through the Gospels, through the whole Gospel. Who are you? What are you up to? Are you the Messiah? Because they had this sense that the Messiah was due. The design, a Messiah was coming. The one who God was going to send to save Israel, to restore Israel, to restore the temple, to destroy their enemies, to make them a great nation again, to forgive their sins, to right things in the world. They had this sense. There was an anticipation that the Messiah was due. And they thought that this Messiah was going to be pretty pleased with them. 
because they were holding fast to the laws. They were keeping the holy holy and they were making sure the sinners knew they were sinners and they were pushing against the oppressors. And so they're going, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And John's testimony, I am not the Messiah. Invites us to understand that Jesus is therefore the Messiah. He goes, I am not the Messiah. They go, well, if you're not the Messiah, then are you Moses? Has, are you Moses that has come back? He goes, no, I'm not Moses. Go, well, maybe you're Elijah's. Because Elijah just was taken up to heaven. He didn't die. He was taken up to heaven. If you, are you Elijah coming back? Because oh, they had all this sense that these, these key people from history might appear at some point, that God would send them back at some point to save Israel. And they're trying to figure out what's going on because they feel that God's at work, but they're not quite sure how to, how to make sense of it. And, and John's like, no, 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 I'm not Elijah too either. Like, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Moses, and I'm not Elijah. But there's one who's coming, maybe. Like the inference here is, but there's one who's coming. He says, there's one who's coming. I'm not even worthy to, tie, to untie the thorns on his sandals. Like, there's one who's coming, who is the Messiah. There's one who's coming who's not just, is greater than Moses, not just the guy who delivers the law, but the, this God who wants to be in relationship with us, not just a messenger of God, but God himself incarnate. Even in John's denials of who he is, there is an invitation for us to explore and understand who Jesus is. And he says, I am the voice in the wilderness. Make way for the Lord. Make way for God. I baptize. You go, well, if that's who you are, like, why are you baptizing people? He goes, oh, I just baptize in water. One is coming who is so much greater. He will baptize in the Spirit. John's testimony about who he isn't turns all the attention onto who Jesus is. And then we get to this weird story, weird interaction at the end of the chapter. So Jesus has started calling some of the disciples and sorry, my Bible is in pieces now. Um, and at the end of the chapter, he says, and so he, then he calls Philip and Nathaniel. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, oh, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nice trick. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe? Just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you are going to see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
It's quite a bizarre interaction, isn't it? But this story where he talks about you're going to see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man harks back to this story that we see in Genesis when Jacob, fleeing his brother because he's tricked his brother, goes to sleep one night and he has this dream, he has this vision and heaven is opened and there is this stairway or ladder, you might have heard of Jacob's ladder, there is this stairway or ladder that goes up right into heaven and at the top of this ladder is God himself who makes all these promises to Jacob and ascending and descending on this stairway or on this ladder are angels going up and down. It's this powerful vision. It's a key moment in the history and in the, and in the legend of Israel. And Jesus, interestingly, places himself right there. He says, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see heaven open and you're going to see angels ascending and descending. But he doesn't mention a ladder or a stairway. He says they won't, doesn't say they'll be ascending and descending on a ladder or on a stairway like they do in Genesis. He says they will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is the connection, restoring the relationship between heaven and earth. He is the route, the pathway, the stairway, the communication, the connection. God is with us now. This is quite a claim. Present, in relationship. Because in the story in Genesis, Jacob wakes up in the morning and goes, Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. And in this reference, Jesus is saying... God is in this place. I am here with you. There is a link, kind of similar reference that we've already had of the Spirit descending on Jesus. And we see this same language of ascending and descending. And there's this really interesting thing that John does when he extends, he frames the wider framing of the gospel to the reader. Because he says to Nathaniel, oh, I saw you under the tree. I, I knew who you were. I saw you under the tree before Philip came to get you. You, personal, individual, you, singular. But then when he says, you will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He uses you, plural. He expands this out. He isn't just talking to Nathaniel. Now he's talking to all who believe. All who read. There is this expanding. There's also this verse. I can't remember the theologian now. Let's get from my head. But Isaiah 64 verse 1 said, um, the theologian said, I think it's a reference in this, in this part of the text that references Isaiah 64 verse 1 where it says, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Jesus is being revealed as God. There is no mistaking his divinity and there is no mistaking his humanity. There is a meshing together of the two that is quite extraordinary. The Son of Man also a reference to the Old Testament. I've lost the 
Anyway, we'll, we'll find you back. Um, yes, the next slide. Um, so, the Son of Man is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where it says this. In my vision, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When he mentions Son of Man, any self-respecting Israelite would go straight to Daniel and know the claims that Jesus is making about himself in that moment. Glory, sovereign power, authority, all nations, all people, every language, every tongue. We are in a new moment now. But alongside this, these bold, powerful statements about who Jesus is, alongside these this language and this imagery that draws on ideas of authority and glory and sovereignty and part of the Godhead, we also have this strange image. When John announces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think, you know, if you've grown up in the church and you've heard this language about the lamb, you've read the Passover stories and all the other things that might link to that, the story of Abraham and Isaac, which we covered a couple of weeks ago, and um, that God will provide the sacrifice, God will provide the lamb. It's very easy to kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, Jesus is a lamb because he's a sacrifice, he pays the price, you know, he's the... And we can, we can miss quite how offensive that idea is. We can miss quite how shocking this idea is that the creator of the world should choose to be confined to a person. That the God omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, should be described, should present as a lamb that will be sacrificed. In Isaiah, we see these, this text, Isaiah 53, very famous text, where the, like a lamb led to the slaughter. And he said nothing. He was silent to pay the price to cover the sin of the world. This idea that God would overcome sin, not by strength, not by might, not by his omniscience, omnipotent, omnipresence, not by commanding and demanding that every knee bow and every tongue 
confess, not by imposing himself in any way at all, but is likened to a lamb that will be sacrificed, that will be led to his death. It's fragile, weak, Ridiculous lamb. Broken, poured out, silent. This isn't how you win anything. This isn't how you overcome anything. Israel was waiting for a Messiah who was going to come back in strength. Israel was waiting for a Messiah who was going to come back and overthrow their enemies. Israel was waiting for a Messiah who was going to restore the greatness of Israel and destroy Israel's enemies. They knew, they knew what they thought they were expecting. It wasn't a lamb. It wasn't someone that was led to the slaughter. It wasn't someone that was silent in the face of its accusers. This is a shocking image. And sometimes I think we miss it because it has a familiarity about it that actually becomes unhelpful. It speaks to who Jesus is, the Lamb of God, and what Jesus did, taking away the sin of the world. These are two core the two cornerstones of the gospel, these are the two core things that we unite about as Christians the world over, who Jesus is and what Jesus did are the primary issues that unite us, that we agree on. There's a whole bunch of stuff we disagree on, but who Jesus is, what Jesus did, this is right at the core of what we're about, and this is who Jesus is presented as by John, this shocking image. You know, Jesus came and they had all their expectations of what God was like. Maybe distant, maybe silent, maybe disappointed with them, but he was holy. He could have nothing to do with the sinful people. If you, were, if you saw the face of God, you would die. If you had all this idea about what God was like, that he liked the people who obeyed all the law and he would have nothing to do with the sinners and the outsiders. He couldn't have nothing to do with those who were sick or unclean in any way. But then Jesus comes along and he starts hanging out with those who are sick and unclean and healing those who are sick and unclean. He's not condemning their enemies and destroying their enemies. In fact, he starts healing their enemies and loving their enemies and putting their ears back on and doing all sorts of things. They're going, this doesn't make sense. Like This isn't what the Messiah is supposed to do. And he starts criticizing the leaders going, no, 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 you've missed the point of this. Like You think you're all that as the religious leaders, but actually... My heart is for the everybody and the outsiders and the people you've condemned. And I'm just going to start forgiving people. Actually, we see Jesus forgiving people whether they've asked for it or not. It's quite offensive. All these ideas that they had of what Jesus was like. And Jesus comes along and goes, you know, God's not like that. You might have misunderstood him a little bit.
So here we are, embarking on the book of John. And there's this invitation, isn't there? The invitation isn't, can we come out of this knowing more? We might know more. Some of this stuff might be really interesting. Some of this stuff might be stuff you've not heard before. Some of this stuff might go, oh, I want to go read more about that. That's not wrong. That's good. But the point of this is that we know Jesus more. The point of this is that we, as followers of Jesus, fall in love with Jesus more. Are we prepared for Jesus to challenge some of the ideas we have about what God is like? And maybe show us that maybe we've misunderstood or we've projected some of our own ideals onto God and gone, well, I'm pretty sure God agrees with me about that. I'm pretty sure that God thinks I'm awesome, but there's a few people he'll want to have a word with. pretty sure God thinks I'm right about a whole bunch of stuff, but some people are going to have a surprise. Are we prepared to be surprised? Are we prepared to be challenged? Are we prepared to be disrupted? Are we prepared to see God differently? Are we prepared to rediscover who Jesus is? That's why we're going to spend this time in the book of John. This book that is trying to give us this whole new understanding about who Jesus is and what God is like. There's an invitation for us, not just to know it a bit better, know a bit more stuff, be a bit smarter. There's an invitation for us to know Jesus more, to love Jesus more, to be better followers and disciples of Jesus to become more like Jesus, to be transformed into his likeness. This is why we want to look at the book of John. So Lord, we want to, we want to invite you to, to reveal who you are, who God is, to us and where we have wrong ideas about who you are maybe we've developed inherited developed or evolved some interesting ideas or some wrong ideas we invite you to disrupt those challenge those, to make us revisit those and to rethink those, to discover you in new ways, to discover new aspects of you that we haven't seen before, to see how you love, to see what it means for you to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We want to discover what it is to be better disciples of you, to be better followers of you, to be better lovers of you. Come and don't just tell us we're right. 
Show us where we're wrong. Show us where we need to know you better. Understand you more. As we embark on this journey of who you are, we come with open minds, open hearts, vulnerable, ready, willing to follow, willing to fall in love with you all over again.